0: Welcome to New England Lacrosse Journal's Chasing the Gold podcast, your destination for all things lacrosse. I'm your host, Kyle Devin, alongside me, the man, the myth, the legend, Jack Pietelli. Jack, how we doing? Good, good. How about
1: yourself? Great.
0: Um, we got, we got our wardrobe changes in <laughs> between podcasts. We're, yeah. we're feeling good. We got, a we got a good guest here. We're going, it's a little, little D3 theme. Yes. And we're bringing on Nazareth head coach, Rob Randall. Coach, how we doing?
2: I'm doing great. How are you guys doing today?
0: Doing well, it's so hard to believe, Coach, that
1: the holidays have come and gone, and and we're right back at it with another season upon us. Time goes by very quickly, and I've known you for a while, and you've been at it a long time, Coach. How do you keep it going every year?
2: I think it's the nice weather that we have here. in <laughs> 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 <Yeah. any> going.
1: <laughs> You get an, you get a brand new pair of snow boots every winter. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, we wear them out. <laughs> for to- sure, eh? Actually, half joking, the, the the weather here has been great so far. I'm sure that uh, when we start practice up next week, we're going to get hit with something. But uh, it's been really good, knock on wood.
1: And you have, facility-wise, you must have a good indoor facility for your teams to participate in in the wintertime?
2: We do. We're really fortunate. We have a an indoor turf field here that has been a, a huge blessing, a, a real difference maker for us. It's not a full field, but it's, it's big enough. It's about 85 by 45 and, and certainly big enough for us to get a lot of stuff done when we need to. And in years past, we've, when the weather's been bad, we've had to go off campus and find an indoor facility somewhere in the area. And it's really nice for us to be able to just walk across the parking lot into our indoor facility and not worry about the elements.
1: I'm sure you like me back in the day when we played that we had a shovel in our hand and we had a shovel the turf field and we only could go outdoors and I'll tell you Springfield Mass would always get hit I don't know that was like a a pocket where we got hit with snow all the time and obviously upstate New York you're getting hit almost every single day but you had a you had to love the sport to shovel the field back in the day And, and these kids have it pretty good now with a The fields are plowed and they have the indoor facilities, but that's, that's great that you're able to go inside.
2: Yeah. I can remember going to the parking lots or, or being in the gym for an extended period of time. So yeah. And our maintenance department does a great job of, of clearing the field once they're done with, with clearing the campus. So we don't spend too many days indoors, but it certainly is a really nice option for us.
0: Coach, you're up there playing in the empire eight. You've seen a couple colleges come in and out of there recently. I think everyone's thinking about RIT when they think about that. And now they're in a different conference. But as that being part of your kind of makeup as Nazareth, you've had a, a fairly high profile for a Division three school in upstate New York. You're one of the, the top schools up there. What is your recruiting process like with kids out of upstate? Because all these upstate schools kind of compete against each other for kids, but, you know, out of state, how do you bring kids in? You got a lot of kids from Western Mass, Central Mass. What is your process like with that?
2: Yeah, well, let me be the first to tell you that that this recruiting process, at least for us, has not gotten any easier over the years. It's it's a It's a really tough challenge for us, no matter where we're recruiting, whether it's upstate New York, right here in Rochester, or in different regions of the country and fortunately for us uh the massachusetts and the and the whole new england area for that matter has been very good to us for whatever reason but i, I don't think we're we're doing anything different than what other schools are doing we go out and and we see these kids play at, at a variety of different tournaments throughout the course of the year and they're playing on their club teams or sometimes playing on their high school teams and and we get up to these the the different events throughout New England, but you know also all over the country for that matter, and we see these kids and and then we just kind of start the process with them. We reach out to them and and introduce them to nazareth and and certainly having some New England kids or having a New England flavor on our roster, I think helps to helps the, the continuity of that or helps to continue to be able to gain interest from those kids up in the new England and, and Massachusetts areas.
1: You talk about the the recruiting process is very difficult these days. What has changed since the days you started recruiting as a college coach?
2: Oh, man, Jack. uh, You can go on and on. Where do I begin?
1: Right, Uh, right.
2: The the technology piece, I think, is the the one piece. I mean, I can remember when I first started here and, and earlier in my career, even before I was here as a head coach or an assistant coach, sending out letters, snail mail, and then it just, it was a longer process. There wasn't nearly as many schools as there are now in division three anyways. And so just trying to stay up with the technology piece, which for me is the the biggest challenge that I have, because I am certainly not a a technologically advanced individual or, or coach so that's probably the biggest challenge but I mean the kids are the kids that I don't think that's changed too much and, and once you get them on campus and you show them around that's that's a lot of the same stuff but there's there's so many schools, there's so many really quality schools out there nowadays and there's a lot of young and really aggressive coaches and and we've seen at the Division three level a lot of schools that have not only one full time assistant but you know a couple full time assistants. So that's made it more challenging. And you've seen so many schools get better at lacrosse because of that. Coach, did
0: you prefer that back in the day? I mean, I, I started coaching when kids were making CDs, right, and sending those in like little video CDs, and and I remember that and being like that was way better than what's gotta be the recruiting race right now. Is that, is that kind of, did you think it was better for you or are you kind of just adapted to, th- this is how it's gonna be and I have to learn all these skills and apply them to build this team?
2: Well, uh, you're showing your age a little bit of talking about CDs or DVDs. I, I'm gonna tell you, I can remember VHSs and, and those types of tapes that you had to actually get a tape from somebody, they had to send it and then you had to put it in your machine to watch it. So, was it, is it better? I don't know. I mean, I, I think now it's certainly more efficient, but with the, the technology piece of things, you, you got to stay up on it. And you got to have, or at least I have to have some young assistants that, that really know what the heck they're doing because I struggle with email.
1: Right, is not funny. You, you mentioned... Uh... Stale mail, right? And I remember I got a few letters in the mail too and, and very exciting to get a letter in the mail from a coach. But today with social media and email and text messages, these kids want instant answers. You know what I mean? Everything is at their fingertips. So they, they, I'll I'll get a a text from a player and said, Oh, I, I sent a, a text or an email. The coach rob randall and he hasn't gotten back to me i just sent it to him 15 minutes ago <laughs> like well he's probably got 150 emails in his inbox and it's going to take him all week to get through it so you got to just sit back and relax and if he's interested he'll get back to you but i think the players and parents have lost their patience through this whole process because everything's right in their face
2: uh, there's no doubt about that i mean we have uh, we're we're pretty much onto our 25s, our juniors at this point, and we have a lot of juniors out there that are are already hitting the panic button. And right. mom and dad are hitting the panic button. They don't know what to do, and we're just like we we, we need to pump the brakes here a little bit. And um, so I, I totally understand what you're saying, and 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 it's very accurate. I don't know that there's anything that we're going to do about it at this point, other than to just kind of talk families and, and kids off the cliff and let them know that we're interested in them and, you know, and there's a process to this. And we, pri- we try, honestly, we try not to put too much pressure on kids, even even seniors, as far as a timeline, because it's a it's a huge decision on their part. And it's a decision that is going to have a far greater impact on them than it is on us. So we want, and and it's also a very large investment on their part, probably the largest investment to date that they've had in their life. And we want to make sure if we're getting a kid that we're getting a kid for the right reason.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because my, my experience with this whole recruiting thing is not only the parents get very anxious and the players get uh, very nervous and, and, and very concerned to get wrapped up and I'm not getting recruited or I haven't committed yet and so on and so forth. Um, I had a, I had a parent reach out to me and said, oh, I'm going to have my son do this thing as an eighth grader because I was told he has to get exposure. And I said, you're absolutely nuts. You're going to spend $800 to go to this event. You could get exposure. What kind of exposure? He's in the, He's in the eighth grade. To your point, I mean, you've got 25s. And you've got 24s. There are, there are programs that are still looking for 24s and obviously division one programs that are still reaching out to us looking for, for looking for with 25s and 24s. So it's, it's a long process and parents really have to take a, a step back and, and you, you, your kids have to focus on getting good grades, being a good kid, being a good teammate and let the process just take care of itself and enjoy high school. A lot of kids aren't enjoying high school these days. It's all about getting recruited, getting recruited, getting recruited. Well, go out and play and have some fun, right? I mean, you were a three-sport athlete, and I know, you know, your son was a multi-sport athlete. Less and less players are playing more sports. They want to focus just on lacrosse. I'm, I'm going on a tangent here, Coach, but yeah. I'm a big believer in multi-sport athletes like you and just letting the process take care of itself.
2: No doubt about it. And I, I think one of the many issues that that we have, or at least that I've experienced, is that because one kid from their school team or their club team has been recruited or is committed early, maybe September of their junior year, I think it, it, it makes the other families uh, hit the panic button, yeah, and and it's just not a healthy situation. the 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 recruiting situation has gotten better in the last couple of years, a little bit better, but it's still it's it's tough. and And families have to realize that just because Billy Smith is is being recruited one way, that you're you may not get recruited that same way. There's many different ways to be recruited. When Jack Emmer once mentioned that, that, to me that there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat, and and that's so true. And, and that holds true in the recruiting world. And, and yeah, we're, st- we still have a couple of spots for 24s at this point. So I don't know like how to fix it per se, but we try to just let the, let the families know and the kids know that if we're interested in them, they're going to know about it.
1: Yeah. Well, the best thing that happened to the recruiting process is the no, no communication until the fall of their junior year, September one, back when they were recruiting eighth graders was, was just ridiculous. But the like parents, if their neighbor's kid gets recruited or gets committed, it's like everybody wants to stay up with the Joneses right now. You know, this kid goes to this camp. Oh, I got to send my kid to this camp or he's going here, he's doing this, he's doing that. I got to do this. And then all of a sudden, oh, Johnny got recruited to NAS. Oh, I got to get my son recruited. If he got recruited and a lot of times they'll jump on the first opportunity too, which is a major mistake instead of taking a step back and is that a good fit? If not a good fit, because I, I've known a number of players who their number one mistake was going to a place that was the number one commitment. Not that it, obviously a lot of places are the right, but you may have more options as well.
2: No doubt. And I think the longer you wait, if you're a quality student athlete and you express interest and and you're responsible in your own recruitment, which I think is a big piece of this as well. If, if you're all of those things, then you're going to find a spot Right, and there's a lot of really good spots out there. And there's a spot for everybody if you really want to pursue it. And that's what we try to explain to families. So, um, yeah, it's 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 definitely and, and and as an example, we recently got a, a a a young man that's coming to Nazareth next year, who had committed earlier in the summer. Actually, he went to a visit to a college, and thought that he loved it there. And then back that and, and committed to them back in I don't know late summer, and then came came around to us back in like November and or maybe late October and realized that he made a mistake in committing to that institution a little too early when he shouldn't have. And and now we're going to get him. So it's those those are types of things that happen quite a bit, I think.
1: Yeah. And you see more of that now, too, is like I'm not a big fan. Like when my kids committed to a school, I said you committed to the school. You're you're not going to decommit and go somewhere else. That's you got to make sure when you make this decision, it's the right decision, right? And that's our point is you got to wait until October, November when all the cards are, are dealt and then you can decide on where you want to go.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and there's, there's, uh, there's some value to kind of letting the dust settle. Yes.
0: Yeah, coach, I'm an uh, assistant coach at a very small school in New Hampshire and we had a kid kind of get recruited. I kind of pushed him to go to a school that I thought he would, do well at but then he didn't end up staying there after his first semester what and i feel personally bad about that cuz i tried to help him through that process but also i couldn't help but think like what what could i have done to make him feel more more welcome there like what could i and it's not my school right like he's already gone i'm curious what is your process with incoming freshmen who might have like again for me for in that case it was a kid from a small town going to a larger school Didn't really fit in with the, not culture of the program, but like the, just the whole move, right? The whole place. What is your process for helping kids like that? Is it, does that happen with you? Do you, do you deal with that a lot? Do you find?
2: Not a lot, but, but it does happen from time to time for sure. Whether it's kids leaving or or kids coming in for that matter. It's, it's not an easy situation, but sometimes kids are, are homesick or sometimes they, their priorities change or they didn't know exactly what they were getting in with lacrosse wise. And they're, maybe they got a, a roommate situation that's not healthy. I mean, it's a variety of reasons. So we want to get to the bottom of it and at least communicate to them so that that we can try to teach them and educate them so that it doesn't happen again. Right.
0: Yeah. And just in the the recruiting thing you guys are talking about, I want to touch on one thing. It's not just, it's the kids too. Cause like I have, I have a kid who will text me on my team. He'll text me random schools. He'll be like, what do you think about this school? I'm like, why are you texting me about this school? And then I'll open up his club programs, Instagram, and I'll click on it and be like this, this guy just committed. And it's the same school. He just texted me about like, and I'm like, first of all, you have a Google machine. Um, You can find out by yourself, yeah. but also like, if all you do is compare yourself to the people around you, you're just going to rob yourself of the joy of playing. Right? Like I feel, I feel like that's like, one message, like just talking about recruiting, we talk about it all the time in this podcast. We talk about it in our regular lives. We talk about it before we sat down and even started recruiting. I think the most important thing, and coach, you touched on it is like, don't, you, you can't change so, all these things. There are things that you won't have control over, but the one thing you do have control over is your own enjoyment of something. And like, obviously you put the work in, but if you are just doing it to get into a school that you think is what you want, Instead of exploring all the options around you, you're doing yourself a disservice, right?
2: There's no doubt about it. And and kids have to learn to make this decision based on the big picture. And lacrosse is certainly a significant part of it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I think the value of being a lacrosse player here or probably anywhere for that matter at the college level is one of the most biggest pieces of their education that they're going to find. Sure. But you want to be happy in that environment, whether it's a, a large school or a small school or a, a rural school or an urban school or whatever it might be. There's just there's so many different options. And I think many times, uh, as you're alluding to, that the kids will make the decision for the wrong reasons.
1: Coach, you've been at NAS for a number of years now. And what 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 is it about NAS that, that you love? And what is it about the players that, that go to NAS? Why do they What's their interest in the school? What what attracts them to NAS?
2: Um, well, w- let me start with the first piece. What I love about Nazareth is is it's a small-knit community. It's in a beautiful area. We have a beautiful campus, some some great academic buildings and some great athletic facilities and, and very much a, a safe environment, very much a residential-type area, a smaller school, a smaller private, and and obviously the lacrosse piece is awesome. but I think the thing that I like most about Nazareth is just the people, you know, I mean, you surround yourself with good people and ultimately positive things are going to happen. So I think that that's the thing that I like the most about Nazareth. Why somebody would, would consider Nazareth or, or end up enrolling at Nazareth. I think they would like the, the, the setting that we're in, as I mentioned, I think kids that are looking for a smaller, environment to go to college in smaller classrooms we don't have any lecture halls all the classes are taught in in a classroom setting obviously playing competitive lacrosse is a a big piece to it our facilities are a big piece to it the location the the general rochester area i think is a nice area to to be in for for college i think there's a lot of other schools in the area that keeps this area kind of vibrant and young um you know i mentioned the facilities i think the academic programs that that are available to the kids and certainly the the science programs that we have and the some of the health and human services programs like physical therapy occupational therapy speech nursing. And, and then we have all the other programs, the, the School of Management, the School of Business and Leadership, your social sciences and liberal arts and things like that. So I think it's, it's, it's a combination of things, but certainly the Health and Human Services School has, has helped for us to attract kids that are interested in the sciences or in the, the medical profession of some sort.
1: Yeah, nursing has become very popular with men and women. Do you have any players in the nursing program at NAS?
2: We do. We have a handful, actually, and yeah. and, and they love it. And And we've had a number of guys over the years that are nursing majors and that are out in the, the hospitals and and different facilities working as as nurses, and there's a demand for a male nurse, and they make great livings. One of the
0: things about your school that that – I found out just kind of researching it, going into this is you have a lot of linguistics programs. You have whole houses dedicated to, as Jack would, would love the Casa Italiana, mm, got the absolutely. Italian house. You got the Maison Francais, the Casa Hispania. Yeah, Trying beautiful. out my accents here. Everybody, you very, like it? Very, very you good. Like it? Well done. You good. Well done. You good. <laughs> well done. <Are> you good. <laughs> yeah. uh, Last time, I'm impressed. Yeah. You did. Yeah, yeah, you, you, I, went yeah. to, I went to Clark. Get we didn't have uh, Clark, we we do. We we get get a Spanish,
2: the Spanish house, the French house, the Italian house. So yeah, it's it's pretty cool.
1: That is great. That I, I love that concept. I, I I like it a lot.
0: Well, you I, just got back uh, from Italy, yeah, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you got to learn somewhere. Maybe yeah. go a NAS. Yeah, pick something up, Coach. I think one of the things Jack asked you what draws people to to NAS and specifically the team. From what I hear, it's you. So I, I know a couple of people that that have played for you, and I know a player on your team currently. And I, when I only hear. Good things about a coach, usually my first because i'm a journalist my my first instinct is a suspicion, but <laughs> with you, I feel like it's it you can't be working at a school this long and leading a program this long without having a good concept of what you need to do for these young men and and I think that that's one of the things that you know we there are so many coaches across the country that, that are, that are young. And then there are coaches that are experienced and have been one place for a very long time. And I always wonder why that is. And I think I don't want to answer for you, but you know, you're an alum and you get to coach at this place that you love. Right. And Jack and I have talked about this on the podcast. God, there's, there's nowhere else I'd rather coach than Clark university. Cause I went there. There's nowhere. You would probably rather coach than Springfield. Right. Right. There's great people there that are also alums of our programs that are leading them now and have been for a long time now for both of us. Um, Bugby more than Cohen, obviously. But do you, do you have any truth to that? Do you, do you see anything in that? Is that something that contributes to your longevity with your, your program and your desire to keep coaching?
2: No, I mean, that's, that's pretty humbling. I, I would say no. I, I mean, I, I think the longevity piece does help. In some capacity, because I think that proves their stability. But honestly, it could be anybody. I, I'm not going to take that credit, and, and and I don't know that that's deserved. So, we just try to create a, a great environment for these kids to be challenged on a daily basis, and try to get the most out of them. You know, and and try to 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 make them as tough as we possibly can make them. And That's kind of our theme and kind of our, our our MO and for most of them, it works. And for some, it doesn't. Just kind of
0: adding on to that, the, I don't know a ton about Ness. I know, like I said, I know players that have played there being part of the Empire eight. You're kind of, again, the, the beacon of upstate New York, right. Is, is Rochester is the, I call it the apocalypse city because if the apocalypse starts, it's starting in Rochester. It's just like my theory that I have. I've, I've been there many times. The lacrosse DNA of that city is so ingrained from from Box to all the schools that are around it. Do you think that brings more people in, it, or because you're kind of one of the pillars of the lacrosse community in that area?
2: Well, I, I would say yes. I mean, we've had a we've been very fortunate to have a a rich tradition of lacrosse here, but I think the city of Rochester and and that would include some great high schools and and youth programs for that matter. And there was a time, not anymore, but there was a time when we had two professional uh lacrosse teams here with the Nighthawks and the Rattlers. And I don't know that there was too many cities in the country that could say that. And that was part of our recruiting piece as well. So yeah, I think I, I think anytime you have good lacrosse programs and, and good lacrosse culture in an area, it certainly can't hurt you.
1: Looking at your bio coach, I didn't realize that you started the program at, at Sacred Heart. It was Division Two back then. Is that correct? What was that like?
2: That is correct. I'll try to give you the reader's so, guide. So
1: you there. you did some coaching in New England. So why are you? you're sort of like a New England guy then.
2: Well, I, I would, I'd, I'd love to be referred to as a New England guy. I, I was at Sacred Heart. And before that, I, I spent about a year and a half as a graduate assistant. Well, that going, army, right? Going back even further. Yeah, yeah. I can kind of get into all that. I, I was, I worked for Al Brown at Alfred oh, University. Sure. And, uh, and as you guys know, Al is up in Rhode Island and has been there for, I don't know how long. Portsmouth
1: Port Abbey.
2: Yeah, yeah. And he had a lot of New England ties. And there was a time early in my coaching career where I would go up and I would work the New England lacrosse camp, which was at Northfield Mount Hermon sure. for a number of years. And I, I was shell-shocked to see the level of talent that uh, that was at that camp of high school kids throughout New England. And then that kind of evolved into the New England 150, which – with him and Billy UC uh, changed over and Jerry Walsh that uh, changed over to the Williams college. Right. And and then right. he's since yep. gone on and, and done other, other camps and other spots. But so that kind of got me much more informed with new England. And then long story short, we won the national championship here. I was an assistant in 92 and I found out about the sacred heart position that, that opened up and they were starting lacrosse. And I, was fortunate enough to get that position. And so yeah, so I got a, a much more of a taste of New England and continued working some of those camps back in those early ninety years.
1: With Frenzy Lamb and and Scotty Anderson and the old yeah. the old regime, yeah. God rest yeah. his soul, yeah. Renzi Lamb.
2: Yeah, they were great, great people. When I got to know so many New England high school guys too.
0: Well just so you know, if you live in the state any state above Massachusetts, we don't count Connecticut as part of New England. <laughs> yeah. just, just, just a little.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a great spot for me to start my head coaching career. It was, it was awesome. But I also knew that it was probably not where I was going to spend the rest of my life.
1: Very good. Coach, COVID was obviously a very challenging time for all of us. But it also gave coaches like yourself – an opportunity like the Wesleyan coach to coach their own son. So that tell us about that. And your son had a a fantastic year, too, when he played for you. I think he had like 55 goals. So what was that like for you to coach your own son? And I've talked to your son, and he he didn't have a comment on it.
2: I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm sure my comments are going to be different than his. In fact, I'd guarantee that. No. Yeah. I mean, he had a, an awesome experience with Dan Shamati and the University of Richmond, and he was there for four years and, and loved it. And, and, and then after four years were up, he graduated and definitely wanted to play again somewhere. And he was certainly entertaining the, the idea of going back to Richmond, but they didn't necessarily have the graduate program that he was looking for. He could have very easily done it, but and and we have a masters here in in business, a, a couple different types of masters in business programs here, and so he ended up enrolling here and got his master's degree in one year. And it's not something that I've really thought too much about, but when all this is over and done with, it'll probably be like one of the things that I cherish the most. Yeah, for, for to be able to, to coach your own kid. I'm not sure that there's really anything better than that. Right. Especially um, at
1: that level, coach, especially at that level.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was obviously we're very serious, but I think he, he came from a, a program that where lacrosse was, was essentially a job. Right. You know, and it wasn't as much like that here as it was for him at Richmond. And, and he, don't get me wrong. He absolutely loved his coaches and, and the whole Richmond experience. But it was a tremendous experience for, for me and and to be able to have that experience and the 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 whole negative side of COVID with everything that went down with it, that is certainly one of the the positives that that came out of it for us. Yeah. It's great, coach.
1: The hockey scene in, in upstate is, is very very strong as well. And I used to run into you at hockey rinks. Your son is a 98 like my son John is. So when my son played against your son in in hockey back in the youth days, your, your son was a very good hockey player. Did he have an interest in playing hockey in college as well?
2: He never really wanted to pursue it, but it was pretty much lacrosse the whole way. He has since continued to skate and play in some men's leagues and things like that. But As Jack, hockey's a different animal. Yes, it is. And for him to have pursued hockey, I think he could have. But, you know, his junior and senior seasons of high school, he was playing as like a split season with travel hockey in the fall and then uh, or the late summer and fall and then high school hockey season and then back to travel in late January, February, or whatever, whenever it was, and then got, got into lacrosse. And he understood that if, if he wanted to pursue hockey, he was going to have to pursue juniors or go to prep school or a combination of both. And he wasn't really too excited about doing that.
1: Yeah. Brett, your son made the right decision because at least athletes, I had a nephew who played a year juniors, went to prep school. So he was, I think, 21, 22 Going into his freshman year to play Division three hockey, I mean, he had a, a a good run, but hopefully lacrosse never gets to that where we get a lot of reclassify Kids are reclassifying. They're playing down. Dude, which, they're already doing that. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no yeah. they are. Yeah. But so I guess the, in, in a sense they are, but it's not. It's for a different reason. A different reason, yeah, but yeah. it's not two years. In order to play college hockey today, you got to play juniors. So unless you're a phenom, there aren't too many phenoms. But most kids will have to go play junior or go to prep school. And you do have lacrosse players that go next year to get, to get bigger, stronger, fast, whatever, academically, the whole nine yards. But hopefully it doesn't go where these kids are coming in and they're 21, 22 years old.
2: Yeah, and I can remember back when I was in high school, kids were going directly to college to play hockey. Yes, no and and so I don't know like how hockey got to that point, and I, I agree with you i I, I wouldn't want to go there from a recruitment standpoint with lacrosse, but I will say that we do get a lot of combo combo kids, hockey lacrosse kids we've had a number of kids that have played both, and our hockey coach is great about allowing one of their kids to to play lacrosse and and the beauty of that is those hockey kids, for the most part, are pretty tough. Yes. And so we love having those combo kids of hockey and lacrosse. And and, and we're at a school that's small enough where they can have the luxury of, of being a dual sport athlete.
1: Wow. That's very interesting that you have athletes on your campus that play two sports today. Because that's that's pretty impressive because you don't see it very often.
2: No, you don't. And it's, it's one of the beauties, at least for, for me of having hockey here
0: coach last season you went 10 and 9 but 5 and 2 in the conference you lost to Alfred then avenged it in the semis and it seems like St. John Fisher is that that other kind of boogeyman up there when did that rivalry really develop because I have I have friends from Rochester and one of them went to Naz and one of them went to St. John Fisher and they don't talk about it so it's got to be pretty (laughs) it's got to be pretty intense if they're not going to even talk about it
2: right rivalry between the schools we're only a mile apart right. uh, so the rivalry amongst the schools has always been there from a lacrosse standpoint it hasn't always been there i would say within the last 10 years it's right. it's picked it up quite quite a bit and they've done a really nice job over there and and right now they're they're the team to beat in the conference and that's a, that's our challenge each and every day so we just uh, we just try to to keep doing what we're doing And we know that at the end of the day, they're going to be one of the schools that 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 we're going to have to play in the playoffs that we're going to be challenged with for sure.
0: Coach, what are your your goals going into 2024? Obviously, win the win the conference, get the AQ, get that get that nice NCAA tournament run, obviously. But what are some other kind of goals that you have for this team and and your senior class coming in?
2: Well, I, I will say that I really like our group right now, but I don't think there's a coach in the country that would tell you they don't like their group this time of year. So it's a really easy time to to love your group. But I, I, I do think that we have some talent. I do think that we have some hard workers. I do think that we have some tough kids on our team. Our goal is to for, for our guys to, to get along really well with each other, and be great teammates, and for us to be really hard to play against, win or lose. So those are those are kind of our, our immediate goals. I'm not going to get into to wins and losses. We want each kid to develop, and we want to challenge each kid to the best of our ability and get the most out of them. But it's really about being great teammates, building our, our culture, and being really hard to play against.
0: I know last year you brought in a huge... Huge freshman class for for most programs. I think it's I think it was twenty freshmen you brought in this year. Now they're all sophomores. A lot of them got some playing time. I think you guys might be one of those like sleeper teams that just kind of comes out of comes out of the north the north part of upstate. And it's like, oh, NAS. Uh oh, I don't want to play them
2: now. I, I don't know. We'll see where the chips fall, but we try to take it one at a time. And I know that sounds very cliche ish, but. I I couldn't say where we're going to be at the end of the year, but I do I do like this this group, and and you're right, we do have a lot of sophomores. I mean, this is a a, a sophomore team that not I don't want to say team, but we have a lot of sophomores that got a lot of playing experience as freshmen, and and some great some great kids out of New England that are in that in that conversation.
1: That's nice to have 20 players come in and contribute right away as freshmen. Why did you have 20 recruits? That's got to be an unusual number for you to bring in 20 players every year. I mean, you had some great luck with that group.
2: Yeah, honestly, Jack, I don't know that there's a rhyme or reason to this recruitment right. process. I mean, I've tried to figure out over the years and do yeah. certain <laughs> things well yeah. and, and, and not focus on other areas. And, 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 and it's just, there's no, there's no like right or wrong way that I found. and. So, you know, it's just kind of ironic that that large group showed up that particular year and we got some great kids from New England, but we also got some great local kids. We've got some great kids out of the Syracuse area, Long Island. So uh, I don't know if kids saw it maybe as an opportunity to play. Kids were coming off of the the COVID situation and they wanted to, to have a really good playing experience and maybe they saw an opportunity there. But I can't really say, I mean, typically for us, we would bring in 10, 12 kids in a recruitment class. And sometimes it's, it turns into 17 or 18 and sometimes it's seven or eight. And like this past year, we have a a little bit smaller class and I don't know. I mean, I don't know if kids really examine rosters and, and look at that, or if it's the conversations that we have with these families that, that let them know, we think there's going to be a nice opportunity. Any kid that comes into our office though, we tell them, we think that we're going to provide you with a really nice opportunity. We don't want to recruit kids that we don't think can play here early on in their career.
1: Right. Right. That makes,
2: that makes a lot of sense.
1: Coach, you're you're a member of the Rochester chapter hall of fame chapter, lacrosse chapter. Congratulations on, on your induction there. But uh, I got to ask you, is there a committee in the lacrosse world that you're not on? whether it's the <laughs> Rules Committee or this committee or the Coaches Association Committee. Uh, what do you find all this time to be on all these committees? Uh, I get some questions on the Rules Committee, but uh, you really have put your time in and, and uh, been a great ambassador for the game.
2: I, I think it's really, really, really important for people to give back to the game, like you guys are doing. And, and I, quite honestly, I don't feel like I do enough of it. But yeah, I've been on championships committees and and on the rules committee on, on a couple different occasions.
1: All-American committee.
2: Yeah. I mean, they're just, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. I I mean, yeah. I enjoy it and it's a great way to meet people and it's a great way to learn. Right. And I'll tell you, I've met some really great people along the way, not just on the committees, but in everything that we do. And it's, it's been awesome. I, I know I, I'm i really, really, one of the things I'll probably look back on and be most proud of is from a rules committee standpoint, I was the chair of the rules committee when we changed the, the face-off situation, the, the, the grip, we brought the dive back and, and then probably the most important advent to our game, to, at least to this point has been the shot clock. Yeah, and Those were all things that I'm, I'm, I feel really good about it. I think the game is in, in a really good spot right now, and I think that our committee at that time really did a great job of of bringing those rules to the forefront.
1: I couldn't agree more. I mean Kyle and I talk about it all the time i mean the 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 game was getting stagnant it was it was it was sort of a bore to watch. everybody was doing the same thing, slowing the game down and and putting the shot clock in just it's just such a such a more exciting game and, and it gives your defense an opportunity to to make a real stop right now are you still on the committee and in terms of any any new rules that that they're discussing to making any changes going forward i know there's a little discussion on the face off but anything that do uh, you might have... I'm, not,
2: I'm no longer on the committee so okay. I, I don't have the, the inside insight. Yeah. To to a lot of that stuff. I mean, I think it's a lot of the same stuff that, that comes up. I know that there's been a, a major push with safety and the helmets coming off and things like that. And there's, it seems like every year there's talk about the face-off. Right. Well, there's some talk I know about the shot clock, the shot clock time potentially changing, but that's all I know at this point. And, and, and I, that, you know, that by no means are, are any of those things going to be real changes down the road. I have no idea.
0: Controversial take, they should bring back Touch It In.
2: <laughs>
0: I, I I caught my – and it's only because I'm a high school coach that I caught myself doing it during – when I was watching college games. I was like, why didn't he touch it? Touch It In. I'm screaming at the TV. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they don't have to touch it in. That's right. So I like it, though, because I, I, especially at the end of the game. I think it's important at the end of the game when you touch it and you don't take it out. No, I agree. I like but that. would you, st- would you still have
1: the touch when you man down and it releases the penalty? Oh, yeah. Do you remember that,
0: Rob? Oh, my God. Yeah, when you're down,
1: if you could get it in the box on the offensive end, you step in the box and the penalty is released. That was, that was, I like that rule. Yep, yep. it, it, yeah. It, Again,
2: yeah, you're going back a few years. Oh, yeah, I am. I know. It's just yeah. fouling, I'm, though. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm
1: going to be 61, Rob. So
2: yeah, yeah, I'm not far behind you.
1: <laughs> You're an '88 um, grad. I'm an '86 grad. So, yes.
2: so I, you know, Kyle, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you. Um, I know it was it was a I dumb take. I, I love it. the shot clock, and I think it's been a great addition to our game. And I personally, I think that every high school team should be playing with a shot clock because if mm. you know if they're going to move on and they're going to be playing with a shot clock in college, and you go to some of these tournaments in the summertime and they're not playing with a shot clock. And it's a, as you mentioned, Jack, it's a very different game.
1: Very different game.
2: Yep. In Massachusetts,
1: the private sector schools have the shot clock. Public still doesn't have it. And it's just, it's, it's a bore to watch. It really is. I mean, the shot clock forces players to really develop their skill sets too, cause it's a faster game. You gotta move the ball, you gotta move the ball up the field quicker, faster. And therefore you gotta, you gotta have the skill set to get the ball up the field and, and push the ball. And if you don't have the skill set to do that, then, then you're at a dis- disadvantage.
2: No doubt. I was given a presentation over Fairport High School last week, and we got talk. It was a a presentation on transition, and one of the reasons that we have to try and play fast is because of the shot clock. Right. And I I think it's really exciting, and kids are going to make a ton of mistakes with it, and and we just have to live with it. Yeah, but they're going to learn.
1: They're going to learn. They're going to get better because of it, so... Coach, thanks so much. It's already been almost 48 minutes. You've done a great job. I really want to thank you for joining Kyle and I today, and and you open up against Springfield College. Take it easy on them, okay?
2: Yeah, they, we know what we're in for with that. It's always a great opening game for us. I want to say we've been doing it for about 20 years, and I'll tell you what, those kids are, you talk about tough, they're tough, and they're athletic, and it's a great, uh, a great first game for us, and and we know that we're going to have our hands full. So
0: let's hope you beat him by more than two this
2: year. <laughs> 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 we want to be, we want to go up there and, and compete. That's for sure. So, but I, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's a, it's a true honor.
0: Thanks so much, coach. I want to have you on as well.
2: Yeah, okay, Great to meet you. Appreciate it. Thank you guys.
0: Take care. And thanks again for listening to New England Cross journals, chasing the goal podcast for Jack Piatelli. I'm Kyle Devitt. I'll see you next time.